everybody, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. I'm Lena Abajamra, and I'm your host. It is fun to be back with you. We're launching a new series today. It is a new everything, except same old me, same great podcast. If you've been here before, then you know how this works. Uh, we share all sorts of things. We try to keep it under half an hour. Uh, the goal is to focus on biblical truth for everyday life. Sometimes we do teaching series, as we're going to be launching today. Other times we uh, answer questions. I answer questions in a series called Dear Lena, which I'm working on soon uh, for a new series. Uh, but for today, I'd like to let you know that if you go to livingwithpower.org, you can subscribe to a daily uh, devotional that you can get for free in your inbox. We call it Power Minute because it literally takes a minute to get through it. And uh, it's a great resource for the beginning of the year. Also, we've got a Bible study launching. You may have heard about it. And if you haven't, then check it out uh, also on our website. Uh, it launches in February and we'd love for you to get your hands on it. It's called Through the Desert. And I'm looking at the faithfulness of God through scripture. I think it'll challenge you. It's a great study to do with a small group or on your own. Uh, hey, today I'm launching a uh, series that I taught recently called I Feel That. And the subtitle is Embracing a Biblical Response to My Negative Emotions. Who doesn't have negative emotions? Listen, every day is an opportunity to feel fear, anger, grief, shame, loneliness, insecurity. And those feelings are real. Every one of us has felt them. What we want is to be free of them. Uh, what uh, I see in scripture is that God uses those emotions to draw us closer to him and to deepen our relationship with him. So if you've longed for freedom from negative emotions, this is going to be a great series for you. When I look at one uh, emotion every week. Today, we're going to start with uh, an introduction to it all, sort of get a mindset on how to look at negative emotions. I think you're going to love it. More importantly, I think you're going to learn from it. So uh, sit back, or if you're exercising, or if you're driving, uh, lean in and listen up. And I pray that God will use this teaching uh, to draw you closer to him. What if you were to find victory over fear tonight? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome? So our series is called, I Feel That, Embracing a Biblical Response to My Negative Emotions. We started last week with why we feel what we feel, sort of give you an overview over emotions and sort of why our, you know, why we feel what we feel, but also how God could use those negative emotions for good and, and really more than for good to become more Christ-like. And so as we lean into each emotion each week, today we're gonna to talk about fear. Next week, I think it's gonna be grief. And so we're going to deal with many of the emotions that many of us feel, and maybe you've heard talks about them before, maybe you've read books about them before, maybe you've seen a therapist and talking about it before, or maybe you've never addressed these things in your life. You might have lived your whole life and never gotten to the heart of this. I pray that you will find victory and freedom in this, um, in this series. Today's teaching is called Fear. I just subtitled it, The Greatest Enemy of All. Fear, the greatest enemy of all. Fear is humanity's most common problem. By the way, it took a chapter or so in the Bible I think it is in Genesis. I went back and tried to hunt down the first uh, reference to fear. And it's in Genesis chapter three, of course, right after the fall of mankind. You think about uh, Adam and Eve, they were living in Eden. God created a perfect world. He put two perfect people in it. I mean, nothing could be better, right? They had every food they could want. They had every sunshiny days, if that's your dream. My dream is to have sunshine, beautiful 75 degrees days, every, maybe even 80, every day of my life. This is heaven for me. Some of you are like, that sounds like awful. But, but whatever Eden looked like to them, and I think I'm probably right, because it's over in my part of the world. Maybe I run Iraq is what is thought. But regardless of the weather, um, we know that Adam and Eve were in bliss. They had perfect communion with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they had one request from God is to avoid, the, not to touch, not to eat of the tree 
of good and evil. And, and that's, of course, the one thing they did do. So that's the kind of the, the basis of the story of God and, and the st story of man and the big fall that happened right at the onset of Scripture. And in chapter 3, right after that happens, the immediate response of Adam and Eve when they know they've sinned was to hide. And after they're uh, hiding, they, um, God says, where are you? And in verse 10 of chapter 3, Adam says to, him, to God, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. So right there in chapter 3, one of the first responses, one of the first negative emotions after the fall, after recognizing that we've sinned, we've gotten separated from God because of choosing to love something more than God. In that moment, fear took over and it's been a, the bane of our existence ever since. How many of us today haven't had moments where we just felt afraid and that nauseous feeling when you hear news and you freeze and you feel like you want to throw up and, and fear can present itself in a whole lot of different emotions. I mean, uh, when you think about it, in fact, number one in the outline, and by the way, our text is going to be from Luke chapter 12. You can make your way over there and start. We're going to read in a minute verses 27 through uh, 34. I'll read that in a second. But before we delve into scripture, and by the way, many, many, many options of scriptures that we could have landed on for talking about fear, but I uh, narrowed it down to either Matthew uh, chapter 6 or Luke chapter 12 and, and I finally landed on Luke chapter 12 and we're going to be here very similar passages by the way they're words of Jesus uh, in the Sermon of the Mount in chapter 6 of Matthew and and here in Luke 12 another um, uh, rendition another in the synoptic gospels basically another um, writing from another gospel writer but the same material there and so almost identical verses and I think that's going to be the basis of what I'm going to speak about and teach about but basically scripture is full of I mean the one of the things that people always say there's 365 commands and scripture of do not fear in some form or fashion there's a lot of skeptics on google if you actually google it some people are like no there's only 100 in the old testament and 44 in the new testament listen in one form or fashion it is all over scripture and you could have landed anywhere in this and there are many verses and many of you have grown up in the church and memorized them and you've got cards that you put in your car and on your mirrors and all over your house and you you want the formula to overcome fear because here's here's number one point in our in our teaching tonight fear the greatest enemy of all number one what you already know about fear is that you already know about fear Okay, I, 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 I could give you all sorts of statistics about fear, but really isn't that the truth? What you already know about fear is that you already know about fear. You and I don't need a teacher about fear. We're afraid all the time. You go, but how does fear present itself? Well, fear is one of the most common negative emotions that is common to all humans, and it shows up in a lot of different flavors. You've got the feeling of worry or anxiety, You've got the feeling of feeling as scared or afraid or tense. You ever feel just tense? You don't know, you can't put your finger on it. I just don't feel at rest. There's something that's bothering me. I don't know what it is. And, and there's an unturning in your soul. You, you might feel terrified or panicked. In, in today's world, many people suffer panic attacks and episodes where you just can't breathe. You get sweaty. You're tingling in your fingers. People go to the ER regularly. I get calls now on the phone regularly of this anxiety that's related to fear of something. And nervous is another way that we may think about it or uneasy or uptight. You can make a list of emotions related to fear, but they all fall into this big category of this negative emotion that is humanity's most common problem. If you just Google the definition for fear, it is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. 
And isn't that why we feel afraid? Because we're worried that something bad might happen. And so we all know about it. Today, you might have experienced it in relation to a circumstance that you didn't expect. You might have experienced it in relation to a person in your life that just brings out fear every time you come across that boss. Maybe you get an email from a boss and right away you jump to fear. Maybe it is a family member. Maybe it is not even any of those things. Maybe it's just a weather pattern or, or, or time of the month where you might feel more afraid, but you recognize that feeling, you know it, and, 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 and you don't need a teacher. You know that well, and you wish you could shake it, don't you? Uh, I wish I could shake it. Well, here, here's the problem with fear, uh, still under this big category. Fear pursued leads to depression and despair. If you follow the path of fear, the problem with fear isn't just that, okay, it's a negative emotion. Uh, okay, I, I recognize I got anxiety. It's that if you go down that path, you're gonna end up in, 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 in depression and eventually in despair. Despair is the extreme form of hopelessness. Nothing's ever gonna change. This is the way how things are gonna be. And you just, you can't even break out of this fog of darkness. And I love, there's a, a Streams in the Desert devotional that I read a few years ago, stuck with me, that Satan's greatest means to destroy your faith and to bring down Christians is through, through uh, discouragement and despair. And so it starts with this feeling of fear. And, and no wonder that Jesus talks a lot about it. In a minute, I'm gonna read you what he says about it. But, but I, I wanna also just kind of cover one more thing here before we move to the next um, big idea. And I, I'll read the text of scripture. So fear is one of the most common negative emotions we experience. Fear pursued leads to depression and, and despair. But then this too, fear mishandled leads to addiction and escapism. Most of us are here because it's, it's, we know that we fear. The problem with fear, yeah, we even recognize that it can lead to despair, but what happens between here and despair is the problem. And most of us, when we mishandle fear, and the whole point of a Bible study on, on overcoming negative emotions is to learn how to rightly and biblically handle fear, we're not gonna stop feeling afraid. We live in a broken world, we're gonna be afraid. There is going to be scary things. I grew up in West Beirut in the 70s and 80s. Like if you weren't scared growing up there with the bombs flying overhead, with the shrapnel and the, and, and the glass breaking and, and you, people yelling on the streets, like if you did not genuinely feel fear, I go now and serve in the Middle East and there are people who live in tents in the worst weather conditions, they have no stability, they have no papers to, to prove what country they're from. They're born in Lebanon, but they're not Lebanese citizens. They're from Syria, but Syria doesn't acknowledge them. If Those are rightfully fear-inducing situations. You might be in the Ukraine and, and, and we're helping people in the Ukraine. If you don't feel afraid uh, in that setting, then you're not human. The point isn't that we can't eradicate fear until we see Christ. But what we want to do is to rightly handle it. What we want to do is to, is to biblically respond to fear. And we're going to get into this. But fear mishandled leads to often to addiction and to escapism, sometimes to anger, control, all of those things that, that make us less like Christ than we want to be. I, I, I particularly, particularly want to hone in, though, on this idea. Many of uh, people who call themselves Christians who are walking in the faith find themselves in this, in this pit of addiction. Why can't I overcome sin? Why do I keep going back to these bad habits? And I think a lot of it's driven by fear. Because we're afraid, we want to find solace and control. And a lot of the control that we find is in a habit that we think makes us happy. And so in the escapism, whether in binging on Netflix, whether it's in uh, traveling the world, whether it's in even in good deeds, we can escape from fear through good deeds. Although you can say, well, that, that's a good way to handle fear. But still, I, I mean, those are the good patterns of, of escapism. But really, most of us aren't like doing mission trips to overcome our fear. Most of us are binging on Netflix. And um, of course, I think the porn problem in this country is 
often related to fear, fear of being rejected by your uh, spouse, being rejected, or maybe in singleness, certainly not having that person in your life to love you. You can go down the list of, of drinking and, and people who overdose on drugs and, and cutting and all these, these ideas that we have found have become such a common motif in our generation are, I believe, driven by fear. And so um, what you already know about fear is that you already know about fear. And so study in your life when you feel afraid. And this is one of the things we're going to go to in the end of the lesson is as you follow the path of fear in your life, where does it lead you? Are you already in the pit of despair? You're you know, too numb and too broken to even enjoy this escapism? Or are you really stuck in a pattern of sin and addiction and escapism because you're just so paralyzed by fear? And so I think those are the things that I want us to really uh, understand about our patterns. Each one of us will have different patterns. And, and, and I think it's important to understand that because I think that's where Satan can get a foothold. And, and the very natural idea that there may be scary events in life, but God is going to use them to draw us into de dependence on him. That's where we're going, by the way, in case you want to kind of get a sketch of that. I think that is going to be where you're going to find healing as you start to see how you're responding negatively to fearful situations in your life, sometimes very real fearful situations in your life. But, but here's point number two, and I want to read the text here. And I know you're like, why haven't you read it yet? I'm gonna, this is a Bible study. Number two is this, what you fear communicates what you value the most. Hey, this is one of the most important points. We, we addressed it a little bit last week, and we're going to see this theme come up in every emotion. What you fear communicates what you value the most. So read with me, Luke chapter 12, verse 22. Uh, let, me, let me just sort of lead up to it a little bit because um, Jesus says a lot in, in chapter 12, but, but let me sort of read a couple of verses in, in 6 and 7, and then I'll jump you know, over to 21 and then 22. And so he reminds the disciples, he says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, there it is. You are of more value than many sparrows. And you're going to start seeing this connection between fear and value, fear and value. Then he says to them in verse 21, uh, well, verse 20, he says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. So he actually gives this parable of the rich fool who tries to protect his goods and hides them and basically ends up losing everything because he dies. And, and so he says to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. And so now Jesus kind of brings in this idea of money and security, really more than money, because I think you can get caught up with this verse about money, but it's about security, about where we find our security. What do we value most? Where do we find our security? And the whole premise of what Jesus is laying out to his disciples is that you don't need to fear because you are valued. And, and so now the verses are, that are incredible, many of you, this is going to be the point of being here tonight, and then you can just shut this off and move on. Please don't, because we're not going to be done yet, but the verses are so powerful. So he says to his disciples, verse 22, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. And how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? 
and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. I love these last verses. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, gift to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags and do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no, and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I just love this. You see, what Jesus is trying to communicate to us is that what we fear communicates what we value the most. See, fear's message is that something we value is under threat. So when Jesus talks about, you know, don't worry about what you eat or about what you drink, he doesn't mean whether you're going to have fish or steak tonight or if you're going to have greens or, or potatoes. Like, that's not his, his goal. This isn't about a meal. This is so much deeper than a meal. This is about the very things that we think we need in order to live. This is about where we find our security. And at the end of the day, in a culture, of course, Jesus was speaking to poor disciples. They didn't have a lot. They weren't like, like in the United States, as an example, in the context where I live. I mean, even the poorest person in the States is so much more well-off than anybody in some of the other countries that I travel. But nonetheless, the idea here isn't whether you eat or clothes. Look, I've been wearing, and I, I know many of you guys who've been following this Bible site for all, know I wear this t-shirt almost every single time it can it almost is thread like I've tried to order it again from Target I mean I'm telling you like I keep wearing it because it doesn't matter to me I'm pulling a Steve Jobs he used to say it's a sign of, of of genius if you just wear the same things when you do talks I don't know if that's true or not I would not say I'm a genius but I like that idea you know I never have to think about what you wear you just put it on but the point isn't whether you're wearing an old Target shirt that you can't replace or whether you go out and and, and shop all day the point is that we are so preoccupied by the things that we think will bring us security in this life. And for some of you, it might be the meals that you eat. For others of you, it might be the funds that you're saving for your kids to grow up and have a comfortable life. For others of you, it's the, how you're gonna pay your taxes because we're heading towards April 15 as we're teaching, past April 15 as we're teaching this lesson. I mean, you can go down the list and isn't it the truth that money is the easiest way for us to gauge where our security is? And that's why often Jesus spoke about money and Jesus thought about money and, and more than money, he thought about um, our hearts. And in fact, even this passage, when you look at the Matthew chapter six, where he says the very same things. It is in the context of your treasures and where your heart is and where your treasure is. And so much of what we value is reflected in how we spend our money and what we worry about as it pertains to our finances. And so, while this is not a message about money, so much of our fear and anxiety grows out of this sense of security or the lack of security. So fear's message is that something you value is under threat. Sometimes it's a legitimate thing. If you're about to lose your home, that might be a very legitimate thing. You might have kids and you're worried, how am I gonna house my family if I lose the home and I can't pay the mortgage? And maybe you're, you know, got a little bit of a breather with COVID, but now inflation is here and everybody's worried about how do you pay for gas? And, and what are you gonna do if you can't get to your job because you can't? And these are realities. It's normal to feel if that, that, that ebbing, I can't breathe because this is on my mind. See, but, but, but what do you value, listen, the most? And why Jesus' words are so relevant to us today is because he's talking about the very things that move us towards having emotions that are either going to be negative and destructive or positive and fruitful. And so fear's concern is that the future holds potential for loss. That's the problem with fear is that we worry, man, down the, something bad is going to happen. Most of us, when we fear the future, we're afraid because we've played out a scenario in our head that's going to end badly. 
And so we've assumed loss or we have, we almost want to hedge on loss because then we're not surprised when it happens. And so we protect ourselves against it. And so we start living into this negative scenario of all the bad things that are going to happen. And what Jesus is saying in these verses, like you don't need to, in fact, in Matthew, he even goes as far as ends the message by saying, and I read it from, from Luke, but in Matthew, he ends the chapter by saying, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient unto the days the trouble thereof. And so, and so fear is concerns that the future holds potential for loss. Fear is the simplest and best map to reveal what you treasure the most. Fear, fear is either driven by faith out of love for the Father or is driven by idolatry out of love for my own will. What I want, control, fear is all about control. Fear is about setting a life that has no room for accidents, no room for failure, no room for anything. And yet most of us who have lived any sense of life can look back on our life and see how the very things that end up being the things we feared the most or the failures in our life or the very things that became the very story. I think about Job is such a great example of it. Everything he feared happened. In fact, in chapter two of the book of Job, it says, he said, he moaned and groaned and he says, the very things that I feared have happened. And yet that became the story of Job as he lived through this fearful events, multiple events that happened, as he ended up at the bottom and actually ended up in despair. And many of you might be in a place of despair today. Like the reality is you might be so far into fear and you go, man, there's no way out. Well, there was a way out for Job. You might be in a place of escapism and you think, man, God will never forgive me for the things that I'm doing. Listen, you're here now. And, 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 and the very things that Job hated that he wanted to protect against, the things that he hoped would never happen became the story that put him in this book called the Bible, where we can look at his life and say, wow, it was that, those tragic events that became the story of Job, that became the redemption of Job, that became the transformation of Job, and that became the story of God and the life of Job. And so what you fear communicates what you value the most. So you might look at your fears today and say, uh, the truth is that as I look at the things that I fear or the people that I fear or the circumstances that I fear or the future that I fear, I see that in my life is a desire for safety. And, I, and, and you might want to find your safety in, in a relationship or you might find your, your safety in a bank account or you might find your safety in, in any number and success and being accepted by people, being liked on, on Instagram and social media and all those things that, that give us a sense of everything is okay for a moment. Moment. And so that might be diagnostic in your life of saying, what is it that lies beneath the surface? And so what you already know about fear is that you already know about fear. What you fear communicates what you value the most. Here's point number three. How you respond when you feel afraid says more about you than the fact that you fear, right? I think it's become clear. It's okay to be afraid. This world is scary. If you're a single woman walking down the street in the city of Chicago at night, you are going to feel afraid. By the way, you're going to feel afraid if you're a single man walking down the street of Chicago. I mean, the truth is that there are scary things in life. The question is, how do we respond? I mean, first thing, don't go walking alone at night. And that's point number one. But, but, but how you respond when you feel afraid says more about you than the fact that you fear. See, fear that leads you straight to God is worship. That's where we want to end. That's just where the story, we want to go there. Now, we're going to look at the end of this lesson at, at a, a great, the greatest illustration of that happening. And it's going to fall in line with when we're teaching, because this is a Maundy Thursday, which is the night before uh, a Good Friday. And so Jesus spent that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to land there in a minute because 
Uh, by the way, last week, remember, uh, this was, I thought was an interesting point. Uh, we talked last week about the fact that we're made in the image of God. So a lot of what we fear, like the emotions that we have, or not what we fear, but the emotions that we have are emotions that God feels. And we went through some of those emotions that God feels. Do you know, I've, think about it for a minute. I don't know if you guys have spent any time thinking about fear this week, but do you ever see God afraid? I mean, there's, God is angry. God is jealous. You know, you think through scripture, God regretted creating the earth in Genesis chapter six, but, but you don't really see God afraid. You don't see Jesus afraid. You see him maybe a little heavy, overwhelmed in the garden of Gethsemane, but you see how he responds to it, but you don't really see him fearful. We're going to see why. And the secret why Jesus, though he faced very similar life circumstances that we didn't, in fact, I would say even worse because he was living in a culture that didn't have the luxuries that we have today and didn't have the opportunity. And he was born in a manger. And yet Jesus uh, never feared because he was in complete dependence on his father. And we're going to get to that at the last bit of the teaching here. And so how you respond when you feel afraid says more about you than the fact that you fear. So we are going to fear and we understand that. So there's kind of three ways we respond. Of course, the, the, there's two ways that most people think about you, the fight or you fly, right? You, the, the, you, you either uh, fight, like you strive, or you hide, you, you flee. You know, it's like there's two ways to respond to fear, right? And some of you are, are, understand your, yourself, you know each other, you know yourself well enough by now to know you might be a fighter or you might be a, a flighter. And, and I don't know that those are the only two ways. I'd say there's three ways. One is this fighting, which I would call it striving. So when you are afraid, you try harder, you, you want to work harder, to save more money, to try to uh, create a bigger security, to, to do better at your work because you don't want to lose that job. You, you show up a little earlier, you leave a little later. Again, those might be appropriate in certain times, but, but you become exhausted because you're fighting this fear. You try to be a better wife or a better husband because you think if I just do better, then they're going to like me more and the relationship's going to be more secure and it's all driven out of fear or, or you're afraid of missing out. You know, FOMO is the big thing now. And so you strive into that fear. You go, if I just show up everywhere, all the time if I just get invited to everything all the time and so uh, and, and again you try to think about I do this all the time the fear of the future the striving is I think about everything that could happen in the future and if I could just protect against those things and so you make your lists and and while some of those things might be in their place appropriate to a certain degree they become controlling of us so there's a striving that happens out of fear that does not lead to worshiping God it is a lack of trust so so one of the responses that we have to fear is striving and so if you're always striving then there's no dependence then you're relying on yourself to save yourself out of your messes and that goes against the very concept of grace just like we're saved by grace overcoming fear has to happen by grace and we'll get to that in a minute but so fear is the response one is striving another is hiding so there's five fight and, and flight. Uh, so fight is striving, flight is hiding. We hide. Some of you, when you're afraid, you hide, you check out, you no longer show up. You don't have the argument. You're in silent treatment in your home. Uh, you're, you're so afraid of, 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 of ending up in a, in a divorce. And so you don't want to talk to the person. You just don't say anything at all, but it's not out of a healthy space of being quiet. And so, you know, it's sort of mutually submissive. It is more out of a controlling, passive aggressive hiding, Rather than facing your problems, you just like ignore them. And so you get those bills in the mail and rather than dealing with them, you just hide them. And, and one day your spouse accidentally finds that, that you're a year behind on the mortgage and they're taking the house's key. And I don't know why I'm focusing on houses today, but the point is that, that we hide sometimes. So rather than strive and work hard, both are extreme situations 
responses to fear, neither of which leads to a healthy place of, uh, of, of freedom and peace, much of which we're looking for. And so there's, there's a striving, there's the hiding, and then one third response to fear, which is where I believe we all want to land. And when we think about the biblical response to a negative emotion is worship worship. And we're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane in a minute. But that is what uh, Jesus is teaching in Luke chapter 12, chapter 12, where we read those things. Listen, there's a lot of reasons to be afraid. You might need to worry about what you wear and what you eat. And, but, but, but here's why you don't need to worry, because you have a father and this father knows you and loves you and has provided for you. And so you, you need to evaluate, where is my heart? Am I trusting myself? Am I trusting uh, the, the culture? Am I trusting you know, the future to God knows who, or am I bringing my worries and my fear under the submission of a father who loves me? And we're going to see how Jesus does that in a minute. So fear that leads you straight to God's worship, whereas fear that is used to isolate you from people can be very manipulative. Fear shared honestly with others can strengthen your relationships. I, I, I'm not going to talk too much about that today. I think we talked a bit about it last week, how fear feeds, um, it's discussing your emotions with others can actually help. And so you might want to Actually, I'll take a minute and discuss it here. So fear shared honestly strengthens relationships. As you think about what you're afraid of, maybe in a friendship or maybe in a, in a marital relationship or maybe you're dating someone or, or maybe in a job situation, if God gives you, maybe that might be a, a, a good thing to pray towards. If you have an opportunity to share honestly why you're afraid, or maybe in a small group setting, you talk with others and say, I see that in my life, I feel afraid. Let me pick on singleness since I'm single. I'm afraid that I'm never going to get married. I'm going to end up alone. I'm going to be lonely the rest of my life. Nobody's going to take care of me if I get sick and I'm in a nursing home and no one's there. You know, and you can run through your fears. I mean, whatever those fears are. And, 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 and you might honestly say in a small group setting, like, I'm so afraid. And my way of coping with it is I just watch a lot of Hallmark, you know, love stories and then escaping into those. I, I don't, but I'm just saying like you could. And so, and so you, because they're so, so cheesy, like it just doesn't work, but, but you, you can go down that path and be like, that might be the, how you cope with it. Because for a moment in time, everything is perfect in your little world of Hallmark. And so you might come to Christmas when it's even more spiked with fear and anxiety of the fact that everybody else is married and you're not. And so you might binge on now Hallmark that runs like 24 seven stories of this happily ever after nonsense. We all know it, but we keep watching it because we think that in that moment, like, oh, maybe my life might turn out this way. And so rather than submitting to a father who loves you, who will be the one who will provide for you, who is walking with you every step of the way. Do you see how sharing that honest emotion with a small group that cannot hold you accountable and say, why are you spending 16 hours a day watching Hallmark movies? Well, you know, I never thought about that, but maybe it's because I'm lonely and maybe it's a way for me to find some connection and feel for a minute that my life could be different. And as you dig into why you do what you do, you start to see where your security is and you're able to, to then strengthen relationships with others because now they're pouring into you. Somebody else might speak about their marriage or about their work situation or about their the, why they're addicted to social media and you can go down the list of what drives your fear and as you uncover the why in the context of safe and healthy relationships you're able to see more clearly and to get victory in those areas by by having somebody point and say you need to submit that loneliness to god don't you know that god is with you always rather than opening that movie and wasting two hours of your time you can actually spend it with god the father and find communion like nothing else will quench your thirst and quench your longings like the father will and so nothing quenches the fire of fear than the presence of someone with you that you trust that might become those friendships where you share those emotions might become the place where that God will use to to be the arms and hands of Jesus that come alongside you and encourage you so 
Uh, that is uh, how you bring your fear uh, to submission to God. I mean, look in a minute at, at how Jesus did it. And, and uh, under point number three, last kind of idea, fear motivates us to seek safety and control and certainty. The problem with fear is that whatever has brought the fear in your life has you in a place of uncertainty. And that's what leads us to sin. And that's what leads us to despair because we cannot live with a sense of uncertainty. So we try to seek safety and, and control and security in any way we want we can. And, and the whole message of the gospel is that the only place for you to find security is where? It's in the arms of the loving father. It is in this, fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy. You don't need these things. Why? Because it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You have a father, you have a God who loves you so much, who can feed the, who has cared for the ravens, who cares for the lilies. Does he not care much more about you? And so your security, that fear should motivate you to seek indeed safety and, and certainty, but rather than Seeking safety and certainty and trying to control the situation, it really happens as you yield control to the only one who has control over the things that are bringing you a sense of insecurity and fear in your life. And that person is Jesus. Fear's only path to safety lies in trusting God by engaging him in my fear. Let me, let me move into the last point and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to uh, Luke chapter uh, 22 and we'll finish with some reflection on uh, Jesus praying on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is, again, so timely because of when I'm teaching this. Uh, but but, but po big point number four, let me review. Point number one was about fear. What you already know about fear is that you already know about fear. What you fear communicates what you value the most. How you respond when you feel afraid says more about you than the fact that you fear. And lastly, changing the way you respond to your fear actually changes the way that you feel. Changing those, so remember the whole series called I Feel today's emotions afraid well changing the way you respond to fear changes the way that you feel you you don't respond to fear but you by removing you'll never it's just like like if you think i'm gonna just remove every fearful person in my life fear driving person maybe you can identify five people in your life that bring fear in your life and i'll just shut them out of my life and then i'll find peace well then you're it's like guacamole remember that that game that you played at the fair you just keep bumping down heads only another head comes up like this is just life like you you think you're gonna put out a fire here there's another fire there this is the story of our life until we see jesus the key isn't to get rid of every fearful situation you can't it's impossible it's changing the way we respond to our fear that changes the way that we feel and so that starts by identifying your fear. Name it. What is it that you're afraid of in every situation? I find that to be one of the easiest and most helpful exercises. I get my journal out and I think when I have that churning into my spirit, I stop myself and think, what is it that I'm fearing in this situation? And it's usually not a bill. You see, the problem isn't, oh, I have a bill. That's not the thing that we fear. It's not the bill. What we fear is that we're going to run out of money. What we fear is that we're not going to have enough for tomorrow. Most of us can find a way to scrounge around to pay one bill. Our problem isn't the one bill. Our problem is the bigger story that we've painted in our life. Our problem isn't that you don't have a person at Christmas to give you a present that is a romantic act. Your problem and my problem, if that's your thing, is, is a lifetime of singleness because you might never find someone because the clock is ticking. And so you go down. What is it that you're most afraid of? Dig deep into that. That's the first thing they can do. Examining your fears helps you understand what is beneath the fear itself. And one easy way to, you know, all those situations in your life where you think, what if, what if, what if, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if they show up? What if he says this? That is a clue to your fears. 
And so as you start seeing those situations in life that you're asking yourself, what if, what if, what if, stop and say, what is it that I'm afraid in this situation? What are you afraid of? Now, evaluating your fear helps you put your relationship with God back to its rightful place. And acting in response to your fear changes everything. So let me, let me those little sub points, ignore for a minute. Let me go to Luke chapter 22, because here's Jesus. And, and let me paint this, this picture, and we'll finish here in the next five minutes. Um, if you have any questions, you could be sending them. But Jesus is about to, he knows what's going to happen. This isn't a surprise to Jesus. He knows he's going to be crucified. He's already told the disciples in three years of ministry, he has not, never doubted how the story was going to end. On the night of, uh, before the crucifixion, he had dinner with the disciples. He, he washed their feet. He told them that one of them was going to betray him. Judas leaves. And now he takes his three closest friends. And, and listen, if there is ever a night to be afraid, it is the night before you're going to be crucified. Would you not agree? Like, you know the pain that's going on. I was trying to, just trying to think about that today. I was trying to think, like, well, how would I... How would I deal with that if i knew tomorrow someone's going to hang me on a tree and put some nails on it that's besides the idea that we're carrying the burden of sin for all of humanity on on your shoulders and you're going to be separated from from god for besides all that just the physical pain of being hung on a cross like how much anxiety would be created by this event a lot so here's jesus uh he's overwhelmed with it but 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 he it's his, remember it's your response to fear that you're going to see is 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 what makes him perfect in every way and so he goes out uh he and he came out in verse 39 as was his custom and by the way you and i think about it for a minute just to follow that thread if we were about to face the crucifixion the next day uh, we would be striving to find a way to escape it i might be planning how to leave town I, i might be looking for the next train out of jerusalem right think about it but you see, that's where we go. Why? Because I think if I can control it, if I can get out of the pain, if I can avoid the pain, but Jesus doesn't do that. He goes to the Mount of Olives with his disciples, three of them, and he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, as was his custom. I wonder how many times in his life he felt this burden of fear and, and this anxiety that might have threatened. He was in the custom when he had that to go to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed. And I think that the kneeling has so many symbolic visuals there, but besides the fact that he's submitting, I mean, you see him kneeling down under the burden that's about to come. So there's a weight on him that should be fear inducing. And he's, he's in fact, the Matthew place, I think here, here in this, let me keep reading. It says, and he, he prays this, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthened him and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweats became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he says, and why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I, I encourage you to spend time tonight reading all of the accounts in the Gospels of what happened at the Garden of Gethsemane, the place of crushing. Here's Jesus who rightfully should have been afraid. Here's Jesus who rightfully should have been anxious about what was to be very painful and very awful. We know it now, but he knew what was coming. Here's Jesus who could have found a way to escape it. Here's Jesus who, who could have, I mean, 
there's so many ways that he might have coped with it, but instead he goes to the place where he was used to being alone with the father. And he bends under the weight of that fear and he bends his knees and reminder that there was only one place that he could put that weight where he would find victory because he, in that moment, was restating what he valued the most, which was utter and complete dependence on God, his father. He had made it a habit, his life, not just the last three years of ministry, but 33 years, he had made it a habit of finding communion and peace with God so that before every single major decision, Jesus would take time alone with God to pray, to be silent, to find solitude with God. He had a habit of it where they would look for him and he would be alone up on a mountain praying. He was so much in the custom of it that here again, under this weight of what should have been the most fear, and it was fear, causing to the point that he's sweating drops of blood. So the sin isn't that you feel afraid, it's what do you do with the fear? And Jesus doesn't sin because he takes that fear that is on him and he transfers it to the Father. And that transferring happens with one word and it is this word, surrender. He says, God, if you could, Father, if you could remove this, that's what I'd love. But he lands on surrender. It says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So that now when he gets up, his disciples, are, they weren't praying, they were sleeping. So they didn't have the rest and the reprieve that he did because they hadn't communed with the Father like he did. And so here he is now, lighter, you can feel it. He walks out of the garden. In fact, the very next chapter, the very verses that happen, the very event, the very next episode that happens is that Peter sees the enemy coming and he takes the sword and he cuts the ear off of somebody's ear. Why? Because he's striving. He's trying to find a solution from what is about to feel like hell for them. But Jesus is so calm. He doesn't fight. He, he's so surrendered. He's so peaceful so that the scariest event in humanity's history becomes an event that Jesus walks through obediently and peacefully. Oh, it's still painful. I don't for a minute doubt that hanging on the cross wasn't painful. It, it was devastating in many ways, but it was the absolute right step of obedience that led to the saving of the world. He said, if you and I want to find hope tonight. It is in learning to take the things that we fear and bring them submissively to the feet of Jesus, to bring them to the Father and, and to remember in the moments of our fear that we serve a God who has given us not the spirit of slavery, but a love. In fact, a good verse to end tonight is in Romans chapter eight, verse 15. And Romans eight fifteen sort of summarizes the very things that Jesus talked about in, 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 in the gospel that I read earlier. Well, he says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, Paul writes, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit. This is, this is our secret, my friends, over fear. It is that we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are no longer strangers. We are children of the Most High. We have a father who has fed the ravens, who has clothed the fields, who has dressed the lilies, and who, who can take care of the very things that you and I constantly fear and are weighed down in. So what is it tonight that you're afraid of? Will you stop for a minute? The, the natural thing for us when we're afraid is to 
put ourselves in overdrive and work, 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 work. And instead, the opposite, the paradox, the opposite we need to do is to slow down instead of rushing around, is to stop. It's to pause in our moments at places of fear. And remember in those moments that God is indeed sovereign. He is in control of all things, even when things look like the crucifixion of his own son. He is sovereign, but he's not just sovereign. He's able. Jesus says to him, if you are able, of course he could have made the cup pass, but it wasn't the right thing. It wasn't the thing that would lead to freedom. So God can do anything. But if God doesn't choose to do what we want him to do, it's because deep down he is good. And he knows sovereignly while he's able and he's good. He balances those two things in his sovereignty. So when you stop long enough in your fears to consider what, what is it that I'm afraid of here? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Who am I worshiping when I respond in the way? Maybe you get angry. Maybe you slam things. Maybe you escape. Maybe you try harder. Who are you trying to worship in those moments? Not the living God. If you can't walk out of the Garden of Gethsemane with a peaceful sense of freedom and joy that you have been heard by the Father, and that yes, it might be painful, but he's walking right alongside with you. That is when you recognize that you have come face to face with a God that you recognize as being good, being able, but more importantly, as being sovereign. Listen, God loves you extravagantly. He has a plan for your life and he will take care of you no matter what the future holds. You and I don't have to be afraid. We can rest everything on the goodness of God. The question is, are we willing to do that tonight? Well, there you have it. This ends the uh, podcast for today. And I'm so glad you stuck it out and listened. And I pray that God is using uh, what you heard uh, to draw you closer to him. We love the Lord here and we love seeing him work in your life. Listen, don't forget to check out livingwithpower.org. We've got a couple of great things coming up. First is the new study launching in February. Right now, if you buy it, you get so many awesome freebies. I'm not kidding you. There's some resources that you're going to love. Check it out. Uh, Irina has put this together. And uh, uh, by the way, Irina is my assistant who makes all of this magic happen. So give her a shout out. In fact, one way you can thank her is share this podcast with someone you love. Uh, give us a shout out on, on Twitter or Instagram or however you follow us. And we'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Uh, also, if you check out our website, you'll find all sorts of freebies. Uh, there's a daily inbox, um, a daily devotional that comes into your inbox called Power Minute. We'd love for you to subscribe and be part of our community. Hey, we're just glad you're here. We're just glad that uh, you have leaned into what God might want to do in your life in this year. And so we're praying for you and know that we're here for you. We'll be back again next week. In the meantime, have an awesome week and stay in touch if you've got any questions questions, any comments, any prayer requests, shoot them to me at lena at livingwithpower.org. Be blessed.